meeting. Uh, uh, welcome to the regular board meeting of the Shawnee Mission School District for July. Let me try it again. Ooh. January 31st. <laughs> it's not that warm out yet. <laughs> uh, this calls the meeting to order, and our first item is the Pledge of Allegiance. Please join us. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Because we moved the meeting to Thursday night this week, uh, we had uh, some young people scheduled to be here to help us with that pledge, but they had something even more fun planned tonight, and so they said, we'll pass uh, on the move to Thursday, but uh, you guys can handle it yourself, so we'll, we'll have the students from the elementary school come next time and join us. A um, couple other things I'll note real quick. Um, because of the move on Thursday, Mrs. Mack was not able to change a previous commitment, so she won't be joining us today. And lastly, I want to recognize any students that are here for a government class or for scouts or any other program like that. Do you want to raise your hand if you're here for uh, something for school? All right, great. Thank you and welcome. With that, we'll move on to item 1.03, which is the adoption of the agenda. I'll seek a motion. So moved. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. Second. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. All those in favor of the adoption of the agenda, please say aye. 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 All those opposed, nay. That's 6-0. Um, we move on to item 1.04, is the approval of the minutes from our last regular meeting, which was January 14th. I'll seek a motion. So moved. Thank you, Mrs. Zila. Second. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. All those in favor of approving the minutes from January 14th, please say aye. 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 Opposed, nay. That passes 6-0. Move on to item 1.05, which is the approval of the minutes from our special meeting on Monday, January 28th. Seek a motion. So moved. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. Second. Thank you, Mrs. Owsley. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed, nay. That passes 6-0. We move on to item 2.01, and that is the superintendent report. Dr. Fulton. Thank you very much. Well, we want to uh, start off by giving you a quick strategic planning update. You know, next Tuesday is our kickoff. We'll have members of the site councils and the strategic planning steering committee along with board members join us at Shawnee Mission West for an evening of uh, just talking about some big picture direction of the district, de describing the process and uh, getting an opportunity to interact with one of the tools that we're gonna use which is thought exchange as we begin to collect personal thoughts on future direction of the district. We also uh, are kicking off the technology task force. We're in the process of finalizing membership for that group this week. And once that membership is finalized, then they will begin the process of setting dates when they'll meet. That work will happen this spring. Um, want to go through a list of a couple things from our schools, and then we'll do a facilities uh, update from uh, from kidding. Hawker Grove uh, had a teacher that was named finalist in the national contest, Patty Winkler. Hawker Grove Middle School social studies teacher, uh, she's a social, uh, Hawker Grove social studies teacher, and she was one of 20 finalists in a nationwide Help Write Their Life Stories contest. Winkler was nominated by a former student who shared that she made history matter to her students through reading. The honor included a $250 grant for books <coughs> and reading materials. So congratulations to her. Mm -hmm. What a great honor, especially when you're uh, nominated by a student. 
This past weekend, Shawnee Mission had the honor of hosting the Johnson County Spelling Bay. The event brought together 75 of the top spellers from around the county. Eight students advanced to the championship round, including Aisha Basser from Briarwood Elementary School and Theodore Oli from Trail Ridge <coughs> Middle School. A list of all Shawnee Mission participants will be shared on the district website. And we're very pleased to host this academic competition in cooperation with our partners from the other Johnson County School Districts. Evan McNeely Phelps, who is a junior at Shawnee Mission West High School, received honorable mention for his entry in a nationwide student television network contest. Evan produced a one-minute public service announcement about the importance of ending plastic pollution. McNeely Phelps' broadcast teacher is Kelly Gill, so we congratulate him and also his teacher on this fine work. And then finally, readers from all Shawnee Mission Middle Schools recently gathered to compete in the annual Battle of the Books competition. These students were presented with trivia questions based on books they read from the 2018-2019 William Allen White Children's Book Award Master List. A team of Hawker Grove students are in first place, and a team of Indian Hills Middle School students are in second place. And that's always very exciting, so congratulations to uh, all the students who participated in Battle of the Books. And then uh, finally, I do want to make note that this is still uh, a month where we celebrate the Board of Education. Now, originally we were going to uh, have a choir for you tonight, but they were busy. <laughs> the schedule kind of interrupted that. And while we thought we could have an administrative uh, song for you, we thought that that would not be appreciated. So anyway, we're just so, again, we're just so uh, proud of you as a board, the work that you do as volunteers to take care of over 27,000 children in the Shawnee Mission School District. Thank you for your volunteerism, for your work, and for your deep commitment to our community. So thank you. And with that, that concludes my, oh, wait, I have one more. Dr. Southwick is going to do a quick facilities. Yeah, mainly want to focus on where we are with Brookwood. Um, I've got to give a lot of credit to Mr. Robinson, Tyler Club, and Dr. Hubbard have worked um, really all year long to make sure that we will be ready for the transition of students to go from Indian Creek, Brookwood Indian Creek, back to their new home in Brookwood. We are on schedule. Um, as we've done in the past, we've given an opportunity for teachers to have some extra days in the schedule since we have extra minutes there. Uh, it does not require um, elementary students from that building to do any kind of extra day, so that's good. Um, we will coordinate the move like we have with our other schools. Uh, as you might remember, we have moved into schools um, before at spring break and also around winter break, and we're prepared to do that again. We will, like we have with the other facilities, have an, uh, a ribbon cutting ceremony where all of you will be invited. Dr. Fulton will get a big pair of scissors and we will cut the ribbon. But we try to let uh, students and staff get in the building a little bit, settle in, make it feel like it's their building. Then we can ask them to be involved and plan and we'll celebrate. And we'll work with J.E. Dunn, the builders of that building, to coordinate that event. We anticipate that that will be later this spring. So we're on track and we're excited. Um, 
once again in a short period of time to open up our seventh new elementary school in the Shawnee Mission School District. Very short report on the aquatics center drove out by the other day. The parking garage is up now and they are putting the glass in the south area. Um, they still have it winterized with a lot of plastic, but they're putting glass in. And uh, Jeremy Baum says he'd very much like to have a warm day to get the glass in on the north end where the wind blows. Uh, in addition to that, they are um, at current digging the deep end of the pool. So um, they're underway. We're still looking at a, a summer opening for that building and, and uh, already working with our coaches in the coordination of opening that facility and um, the way it'll be utilized by our students and our staff. So we're excited about that. And um, I might mention that brings us, we're getting closer to the end of the last issue. And as I've spoken over the last several months in strategic planning, um, decisions and thought processes about what the next round might be will be discussed. And I look forward to what that might look like as uh, that strategic planning committee delivers their plan to you. So that's my report. Great. Thanks for the time. Thank you. Questions, Dr. Sinclair? Just a quick um, uh, passing along a comment I've heard from couple of parents in the swim community who are responsible for clubs and meets already looking for pricing to sign up for meets starting next year in the aquatic center because so just wanted to yeah. everybody's excited everybody's excited they they, they, and, and just, just as a reminder as many of those people that we can get to utilize that pool it helps us reduce our costs so we're excited to have them there too yeah so they're just looking for the rate so they can sign on the yeah. dotted line yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Working on that. Anyone else? I'm sure you are. <laughs> Thank you for the update. With that, we'll move on to item 2.02, .02, and that's board report. And we'll check with our board members to see if there's any updates. Uh, Reverend Guy, anything from PTA? No report. All right. Thank you. And Mrs. Owsley, uh, you can report on SMAF as well as perhaps anything having to do with a uh, advocacy trip to D.C. Um, well, I, I don't have anything from SMAF because we haven't met since the last time we were together. Um, I did join uh, KASB and the National School Boards Association in D.C. this last week. We were advocating on behalf of um, getting additional funding for the Individuals with Disabilities and Education Act. Um, the federal government, when they passed that in 1975, promised to fund it at 40%, and they are currently not even funding it at 16%, and that impacts schools across the country. It definitely impacts us here. We all know um, the cost of special education and how it would be useful if folks would chip in what they had said that they would. Um, I will say that all of the senators and representatives that we met with were very positive and open to listening to what we had to say and how it would benefit not just our students who receive special education services but all of our students because we make up for that shortfall in funding out of general education funding. Um, the Kansas delegation was the only delegation that brought our kids with us, and so we got in a lot of doors. And, um, it was very useful, um, and we, uh, I used my own frequent flyer miles, so the district did not have to pay for us to attend, so yay, frequent flyer miles for that. Um, I think that based off of the feedback we received and what the people who are smarter than me said from the National School Boards Association is they anticipate that we will get additional funding, but that this is going to be something that takes us a couple of years of repeating. So 
anyone who felt like reaching out to their <coughs> federal electeds, be it Congress people or senators, to encourage them to support funding idea. I know um, Senator Roberts has previously introduced legislation to bring funding for that up, so he is supportive. Um, and, and like I said, the other folks said that they were supportive, but when they have that email or that postcard or that communication from a constituent saying, I support you doing this, that gives them what they need to go in and, and battle for it. So um, it was a good trip, and I'm glad I had the opportunity to go, and hopefully in a couple of years we'll be able to get some additional dollars. Thank you for that update. And uh, KSB, Mrs. Zila. Yes, uh, this is Big Advocacy Month. We had the Advocacy in Action um, two days um, on January 16th and 17th this month in Topeka. And uh, um, on Wednesday, we had an outlook from Mark Tolman, who is the advocacy expert, I think, from KASB. Lieutenant Governor Lynn Rogers came and spoke with the group, which was enlightening, kind of like the look ahead with Governor Kelly in the governor's office. We visited the Capitol and saw lots of our delegation just roaming around the Capitol. You see lots of them. I sat in on two K-12 um, committee meetings. They're kind of getting you know, their rules in place and that sort of thing. So it was very early in the session to really hear of anything of any substance there. But, and then we had a reception with all the legislators um, back at the hotel after the state of the state, which happened to be there that evening as well. So it was a well-timed visit there. Um, they had some breakout sessions on Thursday. I went to most of, the, most of the mental health ones and those that have clinics embedded in schools, which was, which was an interesting thing to see what's, do, what's going on around the state of Kansas in that regard. And then that afternoon we had our board of directors meeting, which is a little less exciting. We're talking about building renovations and um, audits and pension plans and that sort of thing. So, but that was our, my full two days there in Topeka this month. Thank you, and thank you for your service on the KSB Thanks. board. Uh, Dr. Sinclair, additional updates on legislative. I think I'll just add to that, just a little piece to the advocacy in action. I think um, both Ms. Um, Owsley and Mr. Stratton, you were there as well, and we kind of all were able to attend a couple of different of the uh, breakout sessions. So in addition to kind of hearing more about what the mental health um, uh, pilot study is learning. Mm -hmm. um, we also attended some, I think we all covered between the four of us, a federal advocacy update which focused a lot on the IDEA and funding, getting that funding up from 12 to 40 percent at the federal level. Um, discussions on kind of a potential constitutional amendment and let's see what else. Um, Bond cap, I don't know if anyone attended that one. Yeah. Um, so it was, uh, it was always uh, very informative. Um, the only other piece that we learned connected to the KSB Legislative Committee was that um, there is a bill that's being introduced to address kind of this gap between when boards are elected and when organizational meetings are established, so when officers are elected. So there is a bill being introduced around that to provide, I believe, more local control to boards to determine when those votes and those organizational meetings will occur. Great. Thank you. And I'm going to tag on one more piece about KASB. We as board members receive a monthly magazine from KASB, our, our state organization, 
and you probably all had a chance to read it cover to cover, but in the back there is... Uh, I have them all marked. There you go. Yes. So all of the award winners that uh, our public relations and media department, I think, was in every category. And there this were is 10 Eli, categories. We had 10 categories. We were in seven of them, and also an outstanding um, sweepstakes award. So kudos to Kristen. I know you're in the back there. I know you've heard this before, and congratulations on all the, all the great media that you do for us. But anyway, it was, again, in print for all to see. This month, just this week, I believe, I got this magazine. So anyway, great kudos to you. Thank you for what you do. Exactly. Thank you. And with that, we'll move on to constituent services. Mrs. Goodburn, is there an update? Uh, other than we have a, a meeting scheduled this coming week, I believe. So no. Other than that, no. Thank you. Professional services, do we have an update there? We don't really have an update okay. at this time. All right. Thank you for those. With that, we'll move on to item 2.03, and that is a petty cash report. Dr. Fulton, do you have an update there? Yes, and uh, Russ Knapp's going to come forward and give us a brief report. And he's going to stay there for a while, right? <laughs> a couple of yeah. the next items. Yes, we've got about three reports for you, but good evening. Um, so it's that time of the year where we do our, san our required state statute to do a semi-annual report for petty cash and student activities report. Um, we have very little usage of the petty cash anymore since we've been using purchasing cards. Um, the student activities report is as of 1231, and that's the building's funds that the kids raise through gate receipts, uh, their clubs, concessions, fundraisers, etc. Um, so do you have any questions about those two specific reports? The next report is our monthly board financial report that is as of December 31st, 2018. Um, as of now, I don't have any abnormalities to report to you for the supported funds, but we review those on a monthly basis. Um, I'll probably report back to you in a couple months that we're keeping an eye on our electricity. Um, we had a cold winter, but we really don't feel comfortable narrowing down a, a number until we really get through January or February because sometimes we can make that up if we get a good spring. So we'll keep you informed on that. Um, the other item on the monthly board report is Title I, which we'll touch on here in a minute. Um, and it's mainly about the, the reduction of funding that we've been receiving. Um, so is there any questions on the monthly board report before I move on? Questions about the board report? Um, well, Ms. Dr. Sinclair? Um, so that last column actuals as percentage of budget when some of those line items are showing 100%. That would mean that if there were an additional expenditure, it would be covered by a transfer or the... No, what that really is is that we encumber. So we, we went out and got... We've already been to the board and got approval, so we've done a purchase order. Okay. So that column represents actual expenditures plus what we've encumbered. Okay. So if you looked at the transportation, it's pretty close to 100%. But as you, as you get an actual expenditure, the, the encumbrance comes down, so okay. it just offsets itself. Okay. All right. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Other questions about the board financial report? Okay. okay. So at this time, um, Dr. Fulton thought it would be a good time to do a little refresher on this since we're kicking off our strategic plan. Just kind of give you a reminder of the different buckets of money, if you will, of what the district receives. Um, so I was going to go through this slide. This kind of represents the, the five 
uh, groups of funds that we've used over the year, and this is how we group them. Uh, so the first one is the supported funds, or what we call operating, operating funds. Um, they make up about 61% of our total budget. 72% of that comes from the state. So that's your general state aid and your special education state aid. The rest is all local. Um, that's going to be your LOB, local tax, and then some uh, smaller miscellaneous revenues. Um, these funds are unrestricted. This is what we use for day-to-day -day operations. And in kind of uh, the order that we spend uh, these monies on, salary and benefits, about 83%. Student transportation is 6%. Supplies and services, 6%. Utilities, 4 and others are 1%. The next big group of funds is our capital outlay funds. These are restricted, and they're restricted because state statute says you can only spend them on certain things. This is all local money, so this is the eight mills that we levy. Um, state law does not allow you to go above eight. You can go below, but not above eight. Um, so we currently do not receive any state aid. So they, re, you know, they resume uh, the state giving out capital, capital outlay state aid. We do not qualify for that. So this is all local taxes. So we do, we spend most of our capital outlay nowadays on bond debt and our Apple leases. Okay, so we spend about $19.5 million right now on paying off the debt for uh, the $85 million bonds that we sold. So these are the capital outlay bonds. These are not the these are not the bonds that we sold for 223 million. These are just capital outlay bonds. They have to be paid off in five years. That's state law. Um, so the good news is when we get to 21-22 those bonds will be retired at a very low coupon rate. Um, but we do spend about 19.5 million on retiring those bonds plus the <coughs> Apple leases when we refresh our Apple devices. We spend another about 11.3 million on just construction and renovations. Those are cycle projects. So if you can think about HVAC, parking lots, bleachers, et cetera, that's what this is for. And when you have close to what, about 55 to 60 buildings that we have to maintain, it goes pretty fast. Um, the other one is, the next item that we spend is maintenance salaries. So we have about $4.3 million worth of maintenance salaries in our capital outlay fund. So these would be your plumbers and your electricians, painters, et cetera. Um, they've been in there for a few years, but they, they take care of a lot of those, um, what we call our work orders, our jobs that we have across the district. Spent about $4.2 million on technology and software. And this is, this is not the Apple devices, but this is maintaining, repairing the devices, software, other maintenance, annual maintenance contracts that IT might have. And then we, a little bit on furnishing equipment, and then we're allowed to buy uniforms. You know, when they expanded the guidelines so we can buy band uniforms, choir uniforms, et cetera. Um, so the next group there next to it is the bond debt. So this is where we issued the January 2015. We did the authorization, did the vote, got approval to do $223 million worth of bonds. And then this is the bond and interest fund where we have to pay off that debt. And those are 20-year bonds, okay? So we budget about $29.6 million worth of debt this year to pay off those uh, bond and interest. The next group is the flow-through. Um, that's state and local. Um, 
it's flow through because it basically just touches our books and then it goes right back to the state. So this is the CAPERS contribution. This is the quarterly contribution they send us, a chunk of change each quarter, touches our books for about a day and then we have to send it right back. Um, the other one is the cost of living, which is all local dollars and it runs through the weighted school formula. The next group is federal funds. Those are restricted by the grant guidelines. So our big two groups there is our Title VI-B which we use for special education, and our Title I, which we use for additional support in our high poverty schools, and then we also have Title IIA, Title III, and Title IV. That is all federal dollars, and there's no state or local there. Um, Self-supported is the last group. Uh, the money that is generated for those funds are, is a fee, so it's a board-approved fee, like a textbook rental fee, uh, gifts that we get from our community, and uh, non-federal grants that we apply for and, and receive. Um, those two funds, federal funds and the self-support funds, they're meant to stand alone, but there's, a, there's times when we perhaps, um, like I'm gonna show you here in a minute about Title I, where if the need arises, additional support always has to come from the operating funds, okay? For many years, we, we always try to, uh, the intent is always for these to stand on their own um, but when we talk about Title I, we'll, we'll give you an update on that. Okay, and this is just a pie chart of the expenditures by fund type. So it's just to show you a visual that 61% um, of our budget is spent on operating funds and then another 21% is spent on capital outlay. And again, another pie chart just to show you the breakdown of our operating funds. So, which is our, you know, our, our biggest fund. So 83% there is on salary and benefits. Kind of looks like a Pac-Man, doesn't it? <laughs> um, so the last chart, or the last slide that we're going to talk about is our Title I issue. So as you can see on the left side of the slide, we're going to start with our funding issue. In 16-17, we kind of peaked at 4.2 million. Three years later, we're at 3.2 million. So this is our current year allocations that we get from the state. Um, the, the reason why the allocation decreased so much is because the state's allocation from the feds decreased. If you re recall about two years ago, um, the state of Kansas lost 9% of the Title I that the feds. So it's, the fed didn't reduce it. I think the fed actually increased their allocation, the state, the, can the state of Kansas portion just decreased 9%. Therefore, it trickled down to Shawnee Mission and we lost close to a million dollars over three years ago. Um, with Title I funds, you're allowed to carry forward 25%. And the important, and you can carry forward also, in my mind, is fund balance. Kind of the same thing. You gotta have that buffer, you gotta have that cushion, you gotta have that fund balance for this reason. Um, one of the things that the timing, a lot of times we don't know our, we usually don't know our allocation to June or July. It's pretty hard to plan for school year that starts in August to put programs and staffing in place when you don't know what your allocation is until June or July. So that fund balance or that carryover is there for that buffer to, to prevent, you know, so you can still offer that services, but it gives you a year to plan for the next year. Um, so, Again, we probably didn't find out till July what our allocations were for this year. And so by the end of this year, that carry forward will be gone. Um, we will not have any fund balances in this to carry forward. So when we go to 1920, we'll be operating only on that cur current year allocation. 
Um, so our plan is to break even and build balances. So to do that, we've got to reduce the Title I budget by $1,095,000, pretty much the amount that we've been reduced the last two years. So how we're going to do that is the social workers that are currently in the Title I, they'll be moved to the general fund, so they, they'll be absorbed into the general fund operating funds. That'll be $480,000 that will shift to the operating funds. Then we're going to reduce our Title I elementary schools. They're going to have to go from 13 to 8, so we'll lose five elementary schools will be removed from Title I. That will save, um, well, to do that, the results of that will, will move $208,000 worth of positions to the general fund again, so that will be absorbed into the general fund. And then 407,000 positions will be eliminated. Okay, so those positions will go away, but the people in those positions will be will move to other positions via attrition. So if a position will come open, they'll move into those slots. Okay, but as far as just the Title One, there'll be a cut there in those positions of four hundred seven thousand. So how do we absorb that into the operating funds? Well. That's part. That's kind of why we're doing this now because we're starting to develop our budget for 1920. So, um, part of it will be the reorganization that Dr. Fulton's looking at. There'll be some cost savings from that reorganization to help offset some of the absorption of the Title I money. Um, we'll look at our budget. We might have to reallocate dollars from other budget lines for to cover the Title I um, attrition, and then any new money we get from the state, we can we can also earmark for this. So. There's, there's three or four things that we can do to absorb that into the general fund. But we started early enough that, you know, we have five months to really plan for that uh, when we kick over to July 1. So going forward, eight, eight of our highest elementary schools will continue, uh, two of our middle schools. The support for professional development, we plan to increase it a little bit. Um, we'll continue to title support for um, Jumpstart and foster care and with the hopes of building that carry forward or that fund balance back up to, to avoid any of these uh, situations in the future. And I'll stand for any questions. I do want to add one thing. First of all, thank you for the report. It is really important in, in title funding to maintain balances because you don't get the money. You don't even get confirmed how much money you're going to get until typically, what, Russ, July? Yes. The only way that you can plan for the upcoming school year is to make sure that you have enough carryover to fund those positions for that year. That is a typical practice that most districts engage in, and it's a good practice. Mm -hmm. The last couple of years, when you're taking the kind of hits that we did in Title I, I think the district did a great job of trying to maintain existing services. And they did that in part by drawing down those, those fund balances, that carryover. Well, we're, get, we're at a point now where those no longer exist. And so we have to do two things. We have to build those balances back up to a reasonable level and then also begin to take the, that a million dollars of expenditures and reduce it. And we're going to work really hard to make sure that we maintain vital services in all of the schools that are impacted. By, for example, maintaining instructional specialists at the schools that are no longer title, but those, those jobs uh, are going to have, the, the expenditure for those jobs is going to have to move out of title and into the operating fund. And then the other one is, as noted on here, that 
you know, we've, we have funded uh, through title our social workers. And those two need to be moved into the general fund. So uh, Russ has laid it out. We're going to address this by looking at uh, reducing cost uh, or paying really for it out of the operating fund through a combination of attrition and reorganization. That's the only way that we can really make sure that we're doing the very best we can to keep dollars in the classroom. And that is our goal. And so at the next board meeting, I'll come forward with some additional information on how we're going to do that. I'll be happy to answer any questions as well. <coughs> questions from board members? Yes, Mrs. Owsley. I have a couple questions, and if I need to pause so that other people can go, I'm happy to do so. Um, my first question is to clarify, the money from the federal government didn't reduce. It was the money from the state was reduced, so that I, just so that I understand where that The million. state's allocation was reduced by 9%. Okay. So their piece that they got from the feds was decreased by 9%. So it was decreased from the federal government, and then they, so then that was what was impacted for yeah. us, and we're just feeling it now because we were using the carryover balances to cover the losses. Right. And then on the social worker situation, to clarify, um, one of the issues when you pay for something with the Title I budget, um, if it is then provided at all of the schools, you can't use that Title I, you can no longer continue to use that Title I funding for that. Is that, like if we were to have had social workers at all of our schools, we couldn't have used Title I funding to cover the cost of the social workers at the Title I building. Yeah, there's Just a, for a point of clarification for folks. There's a concept called supplant, and I'll, Russ can explain that. Yeah, so, yeah, so you're, you're describing supplanting. So if we're providing something out of our operating funds, we're supposed to use our Title I dollars to provide something above and beyond that. Right. I, I just know that that had come up in previous conversations and folks had wondered, you know, well, how is it or why is it that the Title I buildings have social workers and other buildings don't, and it was because of this concept of supplanting, and yeah. that is no longer going to be the case if we're using general fund dollars to cover the cost of social workers. Right, but I, and Dr. Hubbard, you might jump in here, but the, the ones that are Title I schools, they're getting more FTE than your regular schools that are non-Title I. So that's above and beyond. Gotcha. And then the FTE for the Title I buildings is going down in the buildings that will no longer be designated Title I. And if so, how many FTEs is that for those buildings that will no longer be designated Title I? So the, for the five schools that will no longer be designated, it equates to either one to three people, depending on the building and depending on what their allocation was. Um, I do I, I do apologize. There's a summary sheet for Title One that I just realized is we didn't get uploaded. So we'll get that we'll get that uploaded tonight or first thing tomorrow morning. That gives much more detail than this presentation gives for people that would want to see that, including the schools that will be reduced. Um, but the actual positions, they vary depending on those five schools. Um, in most cases, it's always going to be a, an aid position. Again, though, we would um, find a place for those particular people. And in um, some buildings, it is um, a math specialist or reading specialist, an innovation specialist. I um, mean, some buildings, it, it was the instructional coach, and, and uh, Dr. Fulton addressed that, saying we want to maintain those programs, so we'll make sure that those positions, those are the ones that would be moved to the general fund and the social workers. Help. 
Yeah, I guess I'm just trying to give an idea for folks at the buildings that are impacted of what this will look like for them practically moving forward next and, year. And it varies from one to three people, and those principals do know who those people are at this point, and we'll be prepared to have those conversations. But it's one to three individuals per building. And we're not lowering the middle schools that are Title I. We're continuing to have the two Title I middle schools. We are, but the, the middle schools are only funded with one position and then PD funds. So in the scheme of the um, three point whatever, $2 million, they're only allocated about $100,000 each. So the bulk of the money is with those eight, will be with those eight, and has been with those 13. I'll pause for now. I see Mary looking interested over here. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have to get a better poker face. Um, uh -huh. the, so I actually want to just kind of back up from Heather's question. So there's going to be a lot of specifics about which schools and how, what FTE and all that. Yes. Can you speak to the process of how that gets rolled out? And Absolutely. How, how those, what criteria are used to kind of make those decisions? Absolutely. Like, I'm, you know, I'm assuming the building principals have been notified. The building principals have known really all year. I mean, they were told even last year that this is a potential. Our carryover funds are, we had to do something, and we've known that for a year. And those principals have known that. Um, the, the five that are being impacted. And then uh, at the beginning of the school year, I said, you guys, this is happening. You need to start that preparation now. So as the year goes through, um, and, and we told them that starting in March or April, if those, um, if let's say an aide resigns in one of those five buildings after spring break, we probably wouldn't fill that job for the remainder of this year to prepare for that, rather than hiring someone and then having to turn around and move them two months later. So principals do know. Um, I can tell you the five schools. I'm going to do this off the top of my head, so I'm going to do it slowly to make sure I don't say something incorrect. Pawnee, Rising Star, Broken Arrow, Blue Jacket Flint, and Roseland are the five that will no longer be title. And a couple of them have only been title for a couple years, so it hasn't been like they've been title for a really long time. But no matter how long you've been a title school, losing that staff will be impactful to them without question. So we're also doing some things on the general fund side to see um, we allocate specialist, when I say specialist, reading specialist, math specialist, innovation specialist on a formula basis. And so we're revisiting that formula to ensure or to hopefully ensure that those five schools um, would possibly be able to pick up a 0.5 or a 1.0 depending on um, how their demographics have changed. So how, what determines that you can be a Title I school? For us, we have used a 50% cutoff. Um, many of those schools hover at really 50 50% free, free and reduced lunch, yes. And that's how the state tells us to do it. We fill out an application that we really, the only thing that we get to decide is the percentage. What percentage will we use to say is Title I? So we have traditionally used right at the 50% mark. Many of those schools are hovering and have been for a couple years around the 46, 47, 48, but we have maintained them as title schools, even though they're just a little bit below the 50 mark. In this new one, um, off the top of my head, I believe the lowest one will be 54% now. So there's a pretty distinct gap between 54% and about 48. And then there's a large group below the 48 and a, this group of eight above the 54% for your reduced lunch. So that's how we sort of determined where that was. Um, the other thing that has happened is we have these five schools in there and then we have Brookridge Elementary that has leapfrogged them in one year. 
So even if we didn't reduce them this year, we would have had to add Brook Ridge because you can't, the state doesn't allow you to sort of pick and choose, if you will. You have to go in the rank order of which they rank. And we fill out this huge um, report. It's pages and pages and pages long that you have to take into consideration um, kids that are on free and reduced lunch that attend non-public schools. So every Catholic school in our, in our boundary, every any Christian school, so any private school also gets consideration for title funds. And we allocate title funds to non-public schools as well as part of a federal requirement. So the free and reduced kids that sit in a, um, let's say, a uh, Neiman also are counted into their free and reduced population. Questions? Yeah. Go ahead, Dr. Sinclair. Yep. Go ahead. Go ahead. All right, oh, Mrs. Back up. Okay. So, and then, and the other part of this, um, under the going forward portion, is that the, the impact to jumpstart. So, the buildings that are no longer going to have the um, Title One designation will no longer have jumpstart in those buildings. Is that correct? So, uh, Dr. Neal is going to talk about this in her presentation, but what has happened in the past is that Title One has funded the Title One schools, but we have received grants that picked up those other schools. So um, all of the district's jumpstart funding has come from title, only to title. Everything else has been a grant. So um, next year we will fund the eight title schools, but we are still actively searching for grants to support those other schools that are not title. But yes, right now, if we were to receive no grant or no, um, SMEP has also really supported Jumpstart. But if they were not to, or federal, any grant was not to um, support, then just title schools would be Jumpstart at today, if I had to answer that today. But we are hoping for grants. So if we, if we receive additional grant dollars, it's possible that we'll have additional Jumpstart locations in addition to what will be preserved at the eight remaining title schools. That's correct. And I'm going to look for Dr. Neal for a nod. Am I correct? Yeah. <laughs> I won't ask to probabilities. <laughs> um, what would be the timeline to speak to some of those reorganizational kinds of efforts? Will that be at a future board meeting? At our next board meeting. Okay. I think I'll be prepared to talk about the specifics related to both attrition and reorganization. Okay. And what would you say to parents or staff who have questions about this? What should, what should they do? I think uh, contact Dr. Hubbard's office, and they can uh, they can respond to questions. Okay. You know, I do want to say this. This is always hard. Um, I think the hard part is, honestly, is that our federal funding has been reduced yeah. as a state, and the hit for us is huge, a million dollars. The fact that we've maintained services at, at prior year levels, even as you're taking these big hits, again, is a, is a credit to the team, but literally, we have to cut a million dollars. So, and we're going to do that, but in the course of doing that, preserve as much as we can, including uh, the social workers and also the instructional coaches. Beyond that, then you just have to look and see what additional revenues might come in from the state. And I will add this. What we're going through, I think, is typical for districts. Whenever you rely on Title I funding for positions, you literally are dependent on what the federal government is going to give you uh, or the state 
depending on the allocation that they get from the federal government, on what you're going to receive from them. And you literally don't know that until July. So it makes, it makes planning difficult, but it also makes sustainability of, of specific interventions like reading teachers, for example, challenging because just because the Title I funding goes away doesn't mean that the needs go away. And so that's not unique to us. I think that's a challenge that districts really around the country have with federal funding, which goes back to your earlier comment. It's really important that the federal government step up and fund these programs to the very best of their ability because it makes a difference at the local level. Mary, I would add to your question about who to contact. They're more than welcome to contact me. I'll take any phone calls I need to take. If the comments are, or if the questions are specific to services in a building, I would encourage them to call their principal because I'm just going to say, to answer specific questions about the building, principals will have to answer that. But if it's a general, broad question, send them my way. Otherwise, if you would send them to their building principals, that'd be great. Thank you. Uh, yes. Reverend Guy. Um, so I understand that this is necessary because of the reduced federal spending. Is any of it due to reduced number of enrollment that qualify for free and reduced lunches? I would say absolutely yes. Um, we haven't increased. We've been pretty s stable for three years in regard three mm -hmm. three years in regards to free and reduced lunch, and buildings change significantly. Um, of these five, the one that probably surprised me the most was Broken Arrow. And, um, but they had a, a boundary change that probably also impacted the number of kids receiving free and reduced lunch, as well as um, we anticipated, we, we only moved 26 kids out of um, Broken Arrow as the boundary change, but their enrollment's down by 80. And so that they were kind of one, we, they were hovering and we're like, well, they may or may not. Let's see how the boundary change kind of sort of plays out here. And it was a, an impact we really didn't anticipate. And it has to do with some housing issues that are, are, that are going on in their particular boundary. But yes, uh, enrollment, Brookridge, you know, leapfrogging, we, we were not prepared for that. We didn't see that coming. And so um, our our mobility has increased, especially in some particular schools of kids coming in and out in a particular year. So yes, it does impact it, absolutely. The other thing that's important to note is all of our allocations to title schools is based on the previous year enrollment. And so for next year's application that we complete in October, it's called the LCP application, Local Consolidated Plan application. Um, we will be filling out that application based on September 20th of this year. So it's always a year behind. I just wanted to clarify and or just to reiterate the fact that with the reduction of these positions, um, the folks in these positions will be able to fill other positions that people are vac vacating through retirement and through regular attrition. And so we anticipate being able to retain all of these people. It's just shifting around through normal shedding at the end of each year. Absolutely. Okay. Additional questions? Thank you for the update. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Anything else under board financial? <clears throat> 
All right, with that, we'll move on to item 2.06. It's our time for public comment. Um, I'll pass on reading the uh, description of public comment. We have no one signed up. However, I'm not gonna miss this opportunity to recognize our students one more time and maybe even ask them if they would stand up and let us know what schools or organizations they're representing. There you go, the floor is yours. I did. <laughs> Great. What other schools do we have represented today? Dad, give him a nudge. Great. All right, thank you. Anyone else brave enough? All right, and I'm gonna put one more person on the spot. Um, we have a, a visitor here, and I'm gonna recognize Mrs. Donna Bisfield. Uh, Donna served our board for 24 years, and it's great to see you at a board meeting one more time. So thank you for being here, and welcome. Mm -hmm. uh, we will now move on to uh, item 3.0, which uh, is a presentation, Dr. Fulton. Yes, and I'm going to invite uh, Dr. Joe Gilhouse and uh, Paul Colwell to come up and present. Good evening. Uh, we are excited about the opportunities and the possibilities that a community diploma completion program could bring to the Shawnee Mission School District. Um, it's also known as Project Finish. Community Diploma Completion Program is a mouthful to say that, you know, continuously. So if you think about, well, first off, we've been working on this for a little bit over two years. And so we wanted to make sure, we've been around the state, we've crossed the state line. We wanted to make sure that we were benefiting from no pitfalls that other programs have gone through, yet we wanted to make this the best that it could be for Shawnee Mission School District. And we currently have a 90% graduation rate in Shawnee Mission School District with our high schools. And if you cut that down and disaggregate that a little bit, you're down to approximately 150 students each year that do not receive a high school diploma with their four-year cohort. So you have four years to get a diploma. Some do come back for a fifth year. But this program would give opportunities to 150 kids from possibly last year. But if you take that, since Shawnee Mission School District's never had this program in play, I want you to go back all of the years, 150, 150, 150 approximately, adds up. And that adds up to an awful lot of people that still live in our community that may not have had an opportunity to complete or get a high school diploma. So when you look at those numbers and you look at the research, and all of you are very much aware of the research that um, talks about challenges that students that don't complete a high school diploma face for, for many years to come, if not their whole life, that, that is an overwhelming uh, amount of information. We felt like it was a logical next step in our alternative programs within our district to be able to offer Project Finish. So as you go to the next slide, am I not missing that there? So we're going to kind of look at the who, what, where, when, and how, just the very basics, and I'll be brief. So really, as we start off, if we get an opportunity to start next school year, we'd like to look around the 1st of September is what we want to get the school year starting with our five high schools alternative school, look at a possible start of September 1st. It would be eligible for any Shawnee Mission School District resident that has passed their four year graduation date, or they, they, they're beyond their four-year cohort. Any person would be eligible for that within our district. Um, they would enroll in Project Finish to complete their high school diploma. The program would be housed at Horizons High School. It would be offered Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Uh, Friday, we're looking at probably ending a little earlier, so maybe 10 to 3 or 4. We haven't got the details on that yet. 
and we would be utilizing the current platform that we have in our district, Edgenuity, um, online. So there's no additional cost for that. And Mr. Caldwell is going to elaborate on some of the, the costs for the program because they are minimally. Ultimately, we hope to have it self-sustaining very, very soon. And ultimately, we would be actually making a profit, which you don't get to hear too often in public education. So <laughs> we hope. Good evening. Uh, Moving on to the benefits, Chimerson's uh, school district community members are able to complete their high school diploma. Obviously, it's a huge benefit, a program that has flexible schedule, uh, comprehensive platform, and then a rigorous curriculum. Uh, students will receive their diploma after completing the state minimum of 21 credits. Uh, we would need to alter uh, school board policy IHF uh, in order for that to happen, but the difference is two and a half electives, a half of PE, uh, a half of uh, financial literacy, and then the rest would be elective credit. And then the Shawnee Mission School District will be compensated approximately $709 per credit, uh, completed up to six credits per academic school year, so approximately $4,254 per student per year. Next, the costs of one full-time teaching position to oversee this uh, program. It's already accounted for as a part of our 1819 uh, Shawnee Mission staffing formula, so total impact would be $0. Uh, we already have that position available. Uh, we believe that adding a counselor would be important for all alternative programs at Horizons High School, and the maximum impact is approximately $85,000. It may be less than that, depending on who, uh, with salary and benefits, that is. Uh, technology update to existing lab, we already have it there. The infrastructure is there, so it would be minimal. Uh, I put zero just because that was the number that was given to me by technology. We like the, the, the word or the number zero. And then online platform expenses already covered by Shawnee Mission Edge annuity is already being paid for. Um, so that's that. Questions? This is the very, very Questions basic. There's an awful lot of paperwork and information and paperwork to the state to, to apply for the online program, but we didn't want to overwhelm you with all those pieces and just give you the basics of what we're hoping to provide for our patients. Yes. Yes, Reverend Guy. Just to clarify, this program would be available to anyone who lived within the district. They don't need to have been previously enrolled as a student. Correct. We wanted district. to start with Shawnee Mission School District patrons first. Uh, ultimately, you just have to be a resident of the state of Kansas. Uh, but we wanted to start with a core group, uh, our district, and then potentially move out from there. Okay. Mrs. Housley. And it doesn't matter how many credits they had before, they just have to complete that number of credits in the program and then they'll come out with a diploma. Yeah, so we're going to have students most likely that will transfer into us with 18, 19, 20 credits. Uh, we would work towards the state 21, whatever that looks like. Uh, and then we would issue a diploma from Shawnee Mission School District. Okay. Uh, we picked this, the state minimum of 21 because we potentially can get somebody that is 50, 60, 70 years old that they required credits were 18 at that time or mm -hmm. 21 and a half or 23 or 23 and a half like it is now uh, or from a district that required additional some districts require up to 30 32 uh, credits depending on what it is we would scale it back to the state minimum 21 which is obviously state board of education guidance and that would be one of the duties of the counselor would transcribe all of those transcripts. They could have come from several different states. They would take all of that paperwork, put it together, as counselors do every single day in our schools, and apply that to how it fits into the Shawnee Mission District requirements. And then that way would allow us to know what they need to get on Edgenuity. Gotcha. Thank you. Mrs. Zila. Um, it seems like in some of the information that you gave us here that I saw the number 100. That's kind of, was that what, was that I, accurate as 
so the background that might be you talk about the background of the proposal yes so I use the hundred as a, a hopeful number because uh, we don't know what it's going to be. Uh, there's a similar program in Olathe called Step Up. Uh, their variation uh, of enrollment, sometimes they're at 100, sometimes they're at 200. So I was just using kind of an idea instead of talking about what possibly could be. Let's say we have 100 students uh, that are past their graduation date. And I think I used that they get half of the credits potential, uh, if you will, then it, it uh, generates, I think, I, I think the number is like two hundred thousand dollars or something like that. Right, right. Yeah, that would cover a lot of the costs that might absolutely. Be and, and that's that was our goal is mm -hmm. that we would be able to recover the costs that we're spending with the counselor, uh, and or some other costs that we have uh, through the students that that would be a part of that. Hopefully, maybe get where back. You came to. up with a number there, and I yeah, it was just a random number for an example. Okay, very good. <laughs> Thank you. You bet, uh, Dr. Sinclair, and then Mrs. Goodman. Um, so two questions. So this would be a Shawnee Mission diploma, not mm -hmm. a GED? Correct. Okay. And, um, and with that, we would have to alter the board policy IHF to, to cover that, yes. Right, okay. Um, and the compensation comes from what source of revenue? Compensation for the 85000 for the counselor? For the $709 per credit, the 4200 That comes from the state. From the state. Yes. So the cost to this, the individual completing their high school diploma is? At this point in time, it's zero. Okay. Uh, the one thing that we are discussing, and we're in collaboration with, with Chief Douglas, is a potential background check or uh, some like type a fee of. fee or something like that. Some type of fee for that. Whether we would take that fee or whether we would pass that on to, to the students. Okay. Um, I had a third question, but I forgot. This is so exciting. I'm so excited about this. Thank you for doing all this work. Mrs. Goodburn. I had a question in, in the, the long report you gave us. There was a possibility of some other benefits to this for yes. our students. Can you talk about that, the out-of-school suspension? Yeah, so right now we uh, currently, through tutoring funds, we fund a long-term suspension sunset program for students who have been expelled. Uh, it's an afternoon program from two, uh, Tuesday and Thursday afternoon program from 3.30 to 5.30. Uh, currently one of the, the, the items that I get feedback from parents is they would like it to be expanded more time. Now, it's difficult because they can't be on school premise when school is going in session. But if we were to do this program, then we would offer, uh, offer the opportunity for them to be there Monday through Friday after Horizons is out. So it would be 3.30 to potentially 6 every single day. Uh, now, there's mixing of funds. Obviously, we'd have to figure out that as far as the tutoring funds versus, versus others. But it would give us an opportunity to serve those students five days a week potentially, where right now we're only serving them two days a week for two hours. And that's a program we started approximately two years ago. Thank you. Other questions from board members? Yes. So then this would, do you anticipate then also um, students who might take it for their fifth year? So they, they've gone through four years and they're just short a couple of credits, so they would do that Absolutely. fifth year? Absolutely. If, 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 it, mm -hmm. if it's the right fit. Uh, it gets a little trickier when you start talking about they need special education services that okay. sometimes will shorten those schedules for a fifth year senior to where they only come for one or two hours to, to reach that graduation so they can continue to get the more personnel support from this traditional school as opposed to this but it would be an option okay thank you thank you clarification and i probably should know this but uh, we're going to be taking action on this item later in the meeting um, is, at what point do you need actual board policy amended to also implement this? 
Our paperwork is due by the middle of February to the state to apply for the online program to get approval for the upcoming school year. So um, the paperwork is filled out. Uh, mm -hmm. We didn't want to put the cart in front of the horse, so we were waiting and hopeful that it would be approved. Uh, so if it does get approved tonight, we would send that in, and we are right on track to begin and be ready to go by September 1, assuming the personnel gets hired in a timely fashion, assuming we get the technology kinks and everything worked out, we'll be ready to go. One, and, one caveat is yeah. we would have to come back to the board uh, to do some modifications to IHF. There you go. And that Absolutely. would just happen prior to September 1st. Okay. September 1st. Okay. Yes. I wanted to know yes. when we'd need to take action to be yes. ready to go. Thank you. Other board member questions? Thank you for the update. All right. Thank you. And uh, with that, we have another presentation. <clears throat> yes, and uh, we're excited to bring you a jump start update. It's a wonderful program, and Dr. Leonlines uh, is going to provide that for us. Members of the board, Dr. Fulton, and those joining us this evening, uh, it is my pleasure to highlight the Jumpstart to Learning program for you this evening, a program that we truly believe is making a difference for our early learners. Um, here you can see the objectives. Um, for many of you are familiar with Jumpstart to Learning, but those who are not, it is a three-week summer program for our incoming kindergarten students aimed at giving them a boost in those school readiness skills. And as you know, um, kindergarten readiness is a key outcome in the Kansans Can Plan, Vision for Kansas Education. And so this program serves as an opportunity for us to um, provide some of those kindergarten readiness skills and particularly helping for um, families and students who may not have access uh, to a lot of those early learning programs and so may be coming to us uh, with very limited or no prior school experience so they're able to um, gain not just um, academic skills but also those social competencies and those emotional readiness kind of the how you do school skills um, to be ready and off and running and as teachers often tell us um, they have leaders ready to go on day one uh, who have um, come through that program. So uh, we wanted to look at the program um, began in 2014 and as Dr. Hubbard alluded to um, it was funded not just through Title I funds but our Shawnee Mission Education Foundation uh, was a champion of the start of that program and we started from three humble beginning sites with 46 students and uh, over the last five years um, last summer we had grown to 20 sites serving 337 students and a total of nearly 1,100 students served in the program since its beginning. Um, interestingly, um, we put the combined demographics over the course of the program there for you to be able to see. And as you can see there, uh, demographically, the Jumpstart to Learning program does serve um, a much more diverse um, population um, as compared to the district as a whole. Uh, in 2016, we developed our own uh, Shawnee Mission School District Universal Screener for kindergarten, and that uh, continues today. Uh, it's, uh, we hold kindergarten uh, roundup, and then following that, that's usually in April, and then in May, students come back, and they take that universal screener. And as you can see from that snapshot of information there, um, over the course of each of the three years that it's been given, um, and it's... It, it's built on those um, Kansas Early Learning Standards, so it measures, I think, eight different areas. Um, and students who participate in Jumpstart not only take it initially 
at that initial screening date, but then we measure them again following Jumpstart, and you can see that it is, um, even though it's a three-week program, it's not fully closing the gap, but it does show promise in terms of increasing those incoming readiness skills. For example, last year, students um, gained a 9.9% gain just on that uh, universal screening result. Um, we also follow, thanks to Dan Grumman and his assessment, uh, we take a look at the um, Dibbles uh, early literacy um, and we look at students enrolled in the Jumpstart program as compared to students who were not in the Jumpstart program. And uh, for you, if you be, look at the initial one there with all, you can see that students, even those students participating in Jumpstart, um, are less likely to be on grade level with those early, learn, early reading skills as compared to those who do not participate. But keep in mind that their backgrounds are substantially different than the overall. So we dug a little deeper and we wanted to look at if we limited those comparison groups. And so we put a few in there for you to see. So limiting for just um, students who qualify for free and reduced lunch support, you can see that those um, students participating in Jumpstart are scoring um, higher, at least in the fall. The same for when we limit to English language learners and for the um, African-American student group when limiting for that. You can see that all of them coming in, and that's just scoring at benchmark, scoring a little bit higher there. Now, when we look at the spring, um, you can see there that those gains kind of even off. Um, they fall away over the course of the, the months and years to follow. Um, in all categories except for the black and African-American group, they still retain um, stronger scores across that time frame. We also took a look at the measures of academic um, progress. And so again, um, those, um, that data, and we looked here at, at early numeracy to take a look at that. And it's important to note, these um, groups are only given at kindergarten level at the Title I schools. So the backgrounds of the students in Jumpstart and not Jumpstart as, as listed there are much more similar. So that's an important distinction. In general, the map um, does not reveal uh, a lot of notable differences in those groups. Um, except again, if you look at that black and African-American group. Um, again, the Jumpstart students come in um, stronger. And the RIT score there, if you look at that, they're about three points higher. And um, one year's growth at kindergarten is about 13 points. So that is uh, about representing about two to three months higher when you look at that. And there's the spring data too for the MAP scores. Another really important piece that we intentionally built into Jumpstart is around parent engagement, beginning those relationships. And I will tell you that while the academic data is really important, by and large, the power of the program and what we hear from teachers um, and parents alike is around the confidence building, 
around the uh, ability to come in and feel c comfortable at school. And so um, we intentionally build in a lot of parent engagement activities, uh, one each week at minimum. We also have a high um, intentional focus on communication. And when we surveyed parents at the end, 100% of the parents who responded said their child enjoyed Jumpstart. And 97% um, said they were really thrilled with the communication. And again, that goes to relationship building that's so important at early childhood and, and going into that school experience. And last year, we were able, through the funding, to have an all-field trip experience, so every child got to ride a bus for the first time. So they're having a lot of first experiences. We built in nutrition around breakfast, so students had that opportunity to try out the cafeteria. Smaller setting, shorter time frame, really important, as we hear from families, uh, a difference that it's making for those students coming in. We're pleased to to say that we want to acknowledge uh, not just the foundation, but the Early Education Funders Collaborative, who gave us a sizable two-year grant that has come to an end. Uh, it was a, a big catalyst in allowing us to grow the program significantly. Um, but we feel like it's such an important program, so we're thrilled that for this coming summer, summer of 19, we will be able to support Jumpstart to Learning at these eight sites. And I'm continuing to work with uh, Kim Hinkle and the Education Foundation, and we are inviting uh, potential funders in and any additional dollars um, as if we're able to offer some additional classrooms. We will again put those in sort of those next tier, and we'll follow those next in need and do as many as we can for this summer and continue to actively seek funding. And I stand for questions. If I may add, uh, Dr. Deal does a great job with this. Um, <clears throat> And I was fortunate enough, she was kind enough to give me a tour of a number of the sites uh, when I, early on, and it was just great to interact with the children as well as their parents. And uh, I want to thank you for all the work that you've done in setting this program up. Even as the grant funding runs out, it's a, it's a program worth continuing, and so we'll keep digging for funds. But thank you for your leadership in this. Well, I appreciate document. that. I would be remiss if we did not um, really um, shine a, a spotlight on the champions for this program. We have amazing administrative interns and teachers and some nurses, and many of them return year after year because of their passion for the program, the difference they see that it makes, and um, we're thankful for them. Yes, Mrs. Zila. I don't have a, a question really, but more of a comment. I was able to be at one of the parent engagement weeks during Jumpstart. I believe it was last summer, maybe the summer before. It kind of blurs now, but um, I sat down with a little girl whose parent couldn't make it for that. And I mean, my kids had two to three years of preschool prior to kindergarten, so they jumped in there. But this little girl didn't recognize numbers, couldn't quite form numbers or letters, and she was so excited about learning, though. And I think that is what you, the hook that you have with Jumpstart, even if nothing else, even, they can learn those skills. But we all know how very important that early childhood um, learning is, you know, an indicator for their success in the future. And I think it's just a wonderful program. Hopefully we can get more people on board and get that funding in there that's more more sustainable. That'd be awesome. Thank you. Mrs. Owsley. Um, so I already said I was sad to see it go at the five buildings because I think that it provides a really important piece of equity for some of our kiddos coming in. Um, are we going to be able to, I know one of the goals is to give the kids coming into the building an experience in that building so that they are 
prepared to start kindergarten there, but is it possible to allow students at, or incoming students to attend at these buildings even if they're not in these feeders? Like if there's a need and they apply for it, would we be able to fit them in there or is it only open to the kids going into those buildings? So in the past, we have done that if there's been space available. I would say probably for these eight, with the caveat, if it's being paid for with title dollars, if the student um, would have to qualify for title. But if we're, in, again, able to pick up some additional grant dollars and have some sites elsewhere, um, then we would be able to broaden that. And that's what we have done in the past for, um, like last summer, for example, we were in 20 sites, but we had families at, at the other 14 um, who wanted to have that experience for their child and they could transport and so they brought their child in. So we will do our very best because um, if, if a child and a family wants to come and we're able to do it within the constraints that we have, we will do that. And are the grant monies that we're using at this juncture, is it sustainable to continue to operate the program this year? I mean, I don't know. What is the status of the grant money? Are we at risk for losing it down the line for so these eight buildings? or These eight buildings will be supported by title funding, correct? Yes, I, I would say the only caveat to that um, is Only one piece of bad news at a time, please, Dr. <laughs> Hubbard. <laughs> but 20, these eight will be, starting for July, these eight will be funded up. Thank you. And, and actually, to add to that, to go back to the earlier presentation, that's one reason, again, why it's so important to have some of those reserves. Because since you don't know till July, if you can build up enough reserves, what it allows you to do is to continue on with the Jump Start programs that are already planned and ready to go. So Dr. Neal can implement those, and then that, that allows you, that gives you the funding that you need for that year knowing that the next year you may have to plan differently. Right. Dr. Sinclair. I was really trying to hold back though. Yeah. <laughs> um, so is, so the assumption I have is that um, most of this, or a majority of the staff for the Jumpstart programs are actually teachers in the buildings. And so this is one of those unique programs that actually can handle the soft money um, uh, disruptions perhaps so that one of the challenges right of soft money is that it can go away on you and it you have to balance how much can you invest in a program when you can't always guarantee the continuity of it but in this case it's a three-week program and it's usually drawing staff from the building and so um, it is worth pursuing even though it is soft money and we might not always have it from year to year. Is that kind of a safe assumption? Correct. So each year when we go to staff, to, when we find out, you know, what we're going to be able to do, mm -hmm. we first, um, our, you know, our first approach is to see if the kindergarten teachers are able in that building, if they're available for that time frame to, mm -hmm. to staff the program. Um, and many of them are. Sometimes you'll have a conflict uh, with a special event that summer or whatever, or if they're taking a course or whatever, and so then we go and open it up to, are there other teachers within that building? They may not be kindergarten, but at least they're a familiar face in that building. So it's a, we seek out those volunteer staff members each year, depending on what our sites are and our needs are. Okay. Thank you. Other questions? I have one. Uh, if we're out uh, shaking a few trees and uh, doing a little fundraising, what might the round number be for adding an additional school? What would be a dollar amount? 
For classroom, per classroom, it's roughly, I'd say roughly around $3,000 to 3200 mm -hmm. Okay. And is that multiple classrooms in one building, or is that per building? We try to do two classrooms per building. That's the best because then you have a support there and we're able to support. We, we have a teacher-to-student ratio of about 10. Sometimes we raise that up to around 12, depending on what the need is. And when would be the kind of the last date that funding would need to be secured to add additional buildings? I think we would need to know. Um, the other thing I didn't mention about the screener, but it is a great opportunity in May to begin a dialogue and to invite families, particularly students that maybe haven't had those experiences. So we begin formulating what the interest and, and availability is about May, and that would give us, that gives us the lead time. That would be about the latest because we have to find folks that can, that are available and that we can count on and, and give them the nod that says we're, we're going to have the program. I would yes. just add, I want to make sure and clarify that the 3200 does not count any transportation. Mm -hmm. And the transportation that we've had last year was all grant funded, even in the title buildings. So the title, even those eight title jump site programs will not have transportation. So we were considering that in any way, shape, or form. That 3200 would be significantly increased, correct? That's correct. And I will say, um, for those of you that might be concerned about that being a barrier, it, it certainly could be for some families, but by and large, um, we actually had a much smaller number of families select transportation than what we thought when we initially wrote the grant and went into the grant. And actually, some of that savings we were able then to reallocate to the parent engagement activities um, to, to broaden that a little bit. Thank you. Ms. Goodburn. I thought of a question, sorry. Dr. Neal, um, I remember Crestview had a program last year. Was it Jumpstart? But I remember there was a name attached to it. Did that funding then come through, like a special grant through the Education Foundation, do I remember? It was, I believe it's the Isabel Helmuth, um, and it was a summer learning program, and it was, it was based on sort of a similar concept to Jumpstart, but was for older students. Do you recall the grade levels? I don't. It was, it was for older. Foundation. The foundation. Mm -hmm. That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. Anything else? Thank you. Thank you for the update. We appreciate it. We now move on to item uh, 4.01, which is the consent agenda. Uh, I'll first ask if there's any items that a board member would like removed from the consent agenda to receive individual consideration. Being none, I'll seek a motion to approve consent agenda. Move uh, approval. Move approval. Second. Thank you, Mrs. Zila. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. All those in favor of approving the consent agenda as presented, please say aye. 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 Those opposed, nay. That's 6-0. Um, we now move on to item 5.001. This is under action items, and this is approval of the community diploma completion program that we heard about earlier. I'll seek a motion to approve. So moved. Thank you, Mrs. Owsley. Second. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. Any additional questions or discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed, nay. That passes 6-0. Uh, item 5.02, and this is approval of construction services at Shawnee Mission West. Dr. Fulton. Um, yes, I'm going to have Dr. Southwick address this. <clears throat> so um, over the last several meetings, we've talked about um, taking care of West and their ADA issue, primarily the um, elevator, and along with some other projects. So if you'll remember, we asked to approve to have some architecture work done. At the last meeting, we did an approval of 
the company that would do the construction management for that and follow that through to make sure that we um, provide uh, that work to be done. And tonight, we, uh, and I say we, Mr. Robinson is with his staff has gone through and then has um, gone through the bid process. And tonight, we're asking you to approve the bids that we uh, that we bring to you tonight, so we can do that work this summer. And uh, we would ask that the board consider. Um, approving Excel contractors for $1.331 million for us to do that work. Thank you. Board members, questions? Move approval. Thank you, Mrs. Zila. Second. Second. Thank okay. you, Mrs. Goodburn. Additional questions on the motion as presented? And done. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed, nay. That passes 6 0. And we move down to item 5.03, and this is the approval of a revised board policy BBC regarding board committees. It is listed as a first reading. We can discuss whether we would like it to be a first reading or a final action uh, this evening. Um, as a little bit of background, we've been discussing this for several meetings now. So this is to give clarification to the, uh, the groups that are assembled in order to help the district with its roles. So we have two entities that we are putting into policy. One is a district committee, one is a district task force. These would be made up of both board members as well as district patrons. There's also two uh, descriptors here for board committees and board task forces. These would be made up of only board members to do specific work related to the governance of this board. And then last is superintendent advisory groups, and this would be groups that would be created and uh, overseen by the superintendent. Uh, so we have these five items. We've now put them into policy. You've seen the items that would be eliminated in that policy, and then the language that's added. We also sought guidance um, from the legal folks at KASB, and they provided some additional input. That was also provided to you as well. Questions? Comments? Motions regarding a first reading, or should we take final action on this so that the strategic planning process can move forward? Yes. Well, I, I, um, point of clarification, I think since we put first reading on mm -hmm. here for members of the, um, that may be out there looking at this, I think that we need to stick to the first reading um, because people might have questions in between the first and the second reading since we marked it as first reading. Agreed, and we adopted the agenda earlier as mm -hmm. such. I think that would be hard to, I don't know, that could take, I just think that for public's sake, we should probably stick to that. Good point. Any other questions about the language that's presented? Dr. Sinclair. No, I appreciate the clarification. What impact does the delay have on the strategic planning process? I think we can take action at our next meeting, which I believe is February 11th, so I think we're still fine as we create the uh, Strategic Planning Steering Committee. That would be one of the entities that would fall under the description of the Superintendent Advisory Group. Okay. So this is to give that group clarification. And, yes. and Go ahead, Dr. This doesn't delay the Digital Learning Task Force Group at all? No, these groups are being uh, brought together. This would just give clarification as to both their definition and then how they're structured or their, their role. Okay. But good question. Yes, Mrs. Owsley. The first meetings for both of those groups would be after the February 11th adoption, like the first official meetings of those groups. I don't uh, know the calendar well enough. I think the first uh, group, well, the steering committee, is like the 21st and the Right, the 22nd, steering committee, and then most definitely. The, the for the technology uh, task force, that will depend on when they decide to set their first meeting date. But this, this policy will provide clarity. Right, I was just saying if the concern was the delay of the 
final action, then the meeting would be after the final action. Yeah. Technically. Yeah, but we would work from these from these definitions in a draft form, even if the first meeting is before that day. Okay. Great. All right, thank you. We'll consider this at our next meeting then. Um, now we'll move on to item 5.04, and it's approval of an agreement. Uh, Dr. Fulton. Yes, um, well, this, this is a difficult item. Um, you know, I, when it was announced that I would be superintendent, immediately Dr. Southwick reached out to me and ever since that time has been incredibly gracious in helping uh, in that transition. And uh, we all go through transitions in life. And Dr. Southwick, uh, I want to turn this over to you so you can talk about yours. And then I have more to say. Okay. First of all, um, I want to bring up a mistake and draw your attention. Uh, the amount of money on the contract that we're asking you to approve um, XL contractors, but included in that was our contingency. So the total amount was one million three ninety-seven five fifty, and I've done my due diligence on that. Um, so the, the thank, motion. Thank you was for the there, clarification. But I just want to clarify that. Thank you. Um, so you've heard tonight um, some challenges that the district has with respect to budgets around title and whether or not we can keep programs in the classroom. And I've had an opportunity to work with um, the staff and, and Dr. Fulton over the last several weeks and trying to figure out, you know, what do we do administratively to fill that hole? And um, I think at any tough times, good administrators roll their sleeves up and protect the classroom. And uh, the plan that I think you'll see over the next, um, next meeting and after that, maybe over the next couple of years, gives us an opportunity to move forward as a district and to maintain services in a classroom. So um, with that in mind, with uh, giving Dr. Fulton the freedom to look at how he can manage that budget and being willing to work with administrative services to do that, I felt compelled in my life to stand up and say, it's really time for me to retire. Um, as you know, a year ago, I didn't ask for an extension on my contract. And we'd say, let's see how the next two years go. I would tell you this year's gone great. Um, and my work uh, continues with the staff, uh, with the board, and with Dr. Fulton uh, to be a great experience for me. But moving forward, um, I really believe that it is time for me to move to the next phase of my life. Um, my lake house will be done sometime, a contractor tells me. Um, and I'll be, I'll be moving on. Um, I would be very remiss um, and I, uh, if I didn't thank uh, the board members for all of their support. And that's the current board and the previous board. And Donna and Joan are here tonight. And I'll stand up and wave. Um, for giving me the opportunity to spend five great years. This is a great school district. It has great people. It's great community. It's great students. And, um, you know, I've issued a letter out to the staff, administrators and the staff in this building, and David's going to help me with some releases as well. This is a great school district, and I've said, don't let anybody tell you differently. What happens every day in this district, the energies that people put into making things go well for kids, I think I've never seen any place like this. Um, yeah, there's struggles. There's been, we all have struggles, but this is a great place that is, I think, on the verge of getting better. Um, so I want to applaud um, 
Dr. Fulton, his leadership, working with the staff. Um, I would tell you I am 100% at peace with my decision to leave. And um, at the same time, I've never felt any pressure that I had to go. Um, it's just time. My wife feels really good about the extra time. I'm not sure how that's going to work out, um, <laughs> but we're going to find out. And I, I guess I'll end with this, and I, I've, I believe this all my life, and I say it to, you've all heard me say this, and I've said it to young administrators, we're all temp workers. Now these districts have been around for so many years, and then we come, and then we leave. And if we can do just a little bit of good while we're here, we've done our job. And then it's up to the next people to do that. Um, so I'm a temp worker. And uh, that, that temp status is about to run out. So from the bottom of my heart, I'm going to thank you all um, for the work that you do and giving me the opportunity. And uh, before I get emotional, I'm going to stop. <laughs> now, yeah. Now the board would just give me a moment. Kenny, you have been the consummate professional. And you know, when, he, when we were going through uh, this budget conversation and, uh, and you came to me and you shared your feelings, uh, the first thought I had was, I don't want you to leave. And then the second thought I had was, what a great leader. Uh, and it's important to note, and you said it, to be able to leave on your terms, to be able to retire at the right time, matters. So I want to thank you for everything that you've done for the children in this district. And uh, Shawnee Mission is better because of your work. So thank you for that. And we're going to miss you. But that's not till July 4th, by the that's way. Right. That's right. between now and then. July 4th is Independence Day. Yeah, it is. It is. I want to say that. Yeah, but anyway, we want to thank you so much for all that you've done. And, uh, and I'll stop there and leave it. Turn over to the board. Okay. We have the agreement in front of us. Uh, any questions? And then we'll, we'll take advantage of the next item of board comments after that uh, to continue the conversation. But before we do that, would you like to take action? I would move approval. Thank you, Mrs. Zila. I will second. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Those opposed, nay. That passes 6-0. Um, I'm turning to alumni board members first to see if they have any board comments. Donna, since you're standing right there. Well, I definitely want to comment, and I know I'm the one who's been on the board and at board meetings for the longest time here in this district, and I know... <coughs> That Dr. Southwick has been a great part to this, and I think always we've had Shawnee Mission board members working together, and so I knew he wouldn't need some more of the apples. <laughs> That's right. Thank you. It's good for my blood sugar. And with that, I'll turn to item number 6.01, which are board, board comments. Yes, Mrs. Zila. Well, I'll segue onto this now since we're um, just 
speaking to Dr. Southwick, and I will save a lot of my accolades till July because it's like I'm in denial for a little bit here that you're going to be leaving us. But um, I would say you are a man of incredible integrity. That's what I've learned from you in five years' time. And I love your quote that at the end of the day you go, you know, you just try to make the place a little bit better than when you started that morning. And I've heard you say that many, many times. And I think every day you made this place a little bit better. Board members with board member comments. Yes, Mrs. Owsley. Congratulations. I know you would rather be spending your time with that little grandchild, the two-year-old, <laughs> almost two-year-old. <laughs> That's part of the plan. Yeah. <laughs> so congratulations on the next phase of your journey, and I hope you enjoy it and get to do all the wonderful things that you don't have enough time to do right now. Yes, Dr. Sinclair. Um, I just want to appreciate having the opportunity to have um, gotten to know you this last year, and um, I really appreciate the conversations we've had and what I've learned from you. And your, um, you always bring it back to the students, what's good for our students. And I, I really appreciate that perspective and opportunity. And I know you're going to, um, we have a couple more months, so that's good. And um, there's one little student out there that you're going to jumpstart his education, I'm quite sure. <laughs> He's working on Algebra 2 right yeah. now. <laughs> Other board members. I'll just add to it, thank you very much, although we'll have other opportunities to uh, say thank you as well. From the board, I'll say that uh, a year or so ago now, uh, we asked you if you would step into leadership role, and you did so quickly, admirably, and honorably. And for that, we say thank you very much. Um, with a brand new grandchild in the, in the picture, you, you paused for a second, <laughs> but then you, you, know, you came forward and said you would lead us, and that's exactly what you did. And for that, we appreciate that. Thank you. Other board members? With that, I'll, uh, before I turn to the next motion, a reminder that our next meeting is uh, February 11th. And uh, for those students who stuck it out all the way, we're going to take a break here in a few minutes. And by all means, you can get uh, your form, your paper, your selfie, whatever you'd like to do with the superintendent to prove that you were here for the meeting. And thank you for being here. With that, I'll turn to Mrs. Owsley for a motion. Okay, so I move we go into executive session to discuss litigation with our legal counsel pursuant to the exception for matters which would be deemed privileged in the attorney-client relationship under COMA and that the board will reconvene in the boardroom um, 20 minutes from now with five minutes for a break. And I'm looking to see, so seven, seven at eight, eight o'clock. There you go. Eight, eight o'clock. Mm -hmm. Okay. Second. Thank you. It's been moved and seconded to uh, move to executive session for uh, a period of time to... Uh, until 8 o'clock with a five-minute break before that. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Those opposed, nay. That passes 6-0. There will be no business conducted when we reconvene. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Except, except.